Father, long ago, you spoke to us by the prophets, but in these last days, you have spoken to us by your son. You have appointed him the heir of all things. Through him, you have created the world. He is the radiance of your glory. He is the exact imprint of your nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. From that truth in Hebrews, we ask that you would speak to us now through your son, Christ. That you would uphold us by the word of his power. And that your glory, as it radiated through him, would also radiate through us for the sake of our salvation and the world's salvation. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So tonight is the big football day for the Super Bowl. Um, But I have lately gotten into another sport that goes by the name football. The one that actually makes sense to be called football. You know what I'm talking about? Soccer. Um, uh, So tonight we have the Super Bowl for the NFL, the National Football League. But I have um, been following this year, Brittany and I recently, uh, the English Premier League. Um, real soccer is considered the highest league in all soccer. It's a uh, pretty high up there. And um, my brother, my brother had been following it for a few years. And my brother and I are avid baseball fans. Like we talk angels all the time. We've been fans since we're really little. It's, just, it's like probably Addie's age. The first time I went to a game, I've been a fan since. Um, so when my brother got into the Premier League in England. Um, that intrigued me because I like the typical American soccer was like, like we do everything but soccer in America, (laughs) although that's changing. But, um, we, uh, when he got into that, I was really curious. And then, and then, um, and so then I just decided it was time. Like I'm really intrigued because hockey was like one of my other favorite sports and the ducks have been in a terrible rebuild for a long time. And it's just not that interesting. It's hard to access if you don't have cable. So blah, blah, blah. I'm ranting here. Um, so the premier league became a thing that I followed my brother into, but now here's what's intimidating is like, how do you follow a team when you haven't been raised with a team? You know, I got into the Angels because one, there we were a local club. I lived in the city of Orange. There's as close as you can get, and um, they—it uh, was the first team I was exposed to. Most people follow a team either because this is the first team they ever knew about, or the family member did. Right? It's inherited. That's usually how fandom works. Um, but I have been to England three times, but I never went to a game. Um, so I'm like, okay, what are the regions of England I've been to? Who are the clubs that play in these regions of England? Who would I most associate with? And I'm like, that's not working. And then he got all like the names that Americans know, like Manchester United, right? And like, I'm not going down that trendy road. Like, I'm not going to follow Manchester United because they're so, like, mu- too much muscle, you know? Um, I'm a small town guy and I've suffered being an Angel fan for a long time. I don't know what glory is. So I'm not going to be a glory pursuer. Uh, so, um, anyways, all this to say, um, I ended up stumbling upon a team, uh, named, uh, it's the Brentford football club. It's a West London club. And a lot of people had never heard of Brentford because they've been, um, in England, you have to be good to stay in the premier league. If you fall to the bottom three teams, you're out, right? At the end of the year, if you finish the bottom three, you're out you go to the lower leagues and you have to win your way back up. 
so um, Brentford, it was 1940 the last time they were in the top league. And so two years ago, they regained status. It took them like a long time to build up. They were like down the fourth league. They had to work all the way up to the top league. And the story intrigued me, like a lot of work ethic, doing things the right way, the hard way. You don't have money, you're a really small club, and climbing your way up. And so um, the interest in it was interesting, right, the story there. And then I started digging in, and I, I, what I found is that this is a small club, and it's community-oriented. It's not like big, like brand name, like Liverpool or Manchester. Um, it's like... The small, like, little family club, and they're really accessible. They want you to get to know them. They have profiles for their players. The players know their fans really well. The manager talks to the fans. They know people, like, almost on a name basis at points. I'm like, I can jive with this coming from Twin Peaks. And actually, as I began to watch them, I was really intrigued by there's and my and Brittany's like sold on this like it's such a family feel there's like an autistic little child in the stands every game and they go and say hi to him and it's just like this it's this cool vibe right uh, but the thing that is um I noticed about it and over time was that it, they know who they are they're small and they and they're excited to be where they are and they want you in they're friendly. They're not indifferent to you. They appreciate anyone who's interested in them, and they want to help you understand and get to know them. And I thought that openness and that invitation was so unknown to me as an American. We know our sports teams, and like everyone just like you just kind of, I don't know, it's just very different. Um, and, and don't worry, this is going somewhere. There's a point to this. Um, I think you know me by now, okay? So you can trust that. But um, I stumbled upon this quote because I was reading about somebody from Chicago who also stumbled upon the unknown Brentford Bees in England. And um, he uh, here's what he said. Here was part of his story. He said, one of the things that drew me to the Brentford Football Club was it had it was the family values that the club has. Every time I came over to their park, Every time I came over to the park, I felt welcome, and I met new people, and they were excited to have fans from across the pond over to watch a game. Uh, like Just like this enthusiasm for, we want to grow, and we want people in our family, um, not just for your money, but because we're a family. Um, uh, okay, so put that bookmark in there. Um, some of you also know, who've heard my story, I shared my testimony maybe a year ago that after fellowship asked me to do this. And um, so some of you might know, like, I have visited a, an Eastern Orthodox church um, uh, maybe three years ago. It was the first time I visited it. And it changed me. And, and I've visited every now and then, maybe four times a year, I'll go back. And what I've noticed, every single time I go, I'm not frequent, and I stick out, and they all know I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor. Um, but what sticks out every time is they remember my name, they are genuinely happy to see me there, and they do not hesitate to explain any questions I have or to show me around and teach me different things about what is going on in the Orthodox Church. Um, so I've always been intrigued by this warmness. And here you go again, the Orthodox Church. Some people are like, what is that? And other people are like, yeah, it's definitely a small little niche of Christianity in America. It's like a Greek thing, right? It's a Russian thing, but it's not in America. And they know that. They know that they're small and they know each other and still this family community feel. So when there's a newcomer, someone interested, they are enthusiastic. Like a Brentford football fan, like an Orthodox Christian, they're enthusiastic to bring you in and to teach you and to make you feel like it's your home. 
Well, tonight we see some major outsiders in Matthew's gospel who uh, may not generally be welcomed, but in Christ's context, they are enthusiastically welcomed and embraced. We talk about uh, people across the pond being interested in Brentford. And Brentford's like, oh, yes, people across the pond, you're welcome. Here, let's teach you about this game you don't know about in America. Uh, across the pond is a far way away, yeah? Uh, so is across the whole desert in a place called Babylon. Babylon and Israel, very far away. And yet Babylonians come to see Jesus born. And, oh, yes, come, let us show you the Messiah. Let us bring you into the faith. Now, my question, and the reason I bring all this up, is because I wonder if we remember who we are and if we actually understand our context and we want to utilize it well and if we are willing to show the same enthusiasm for an outsider or anyone who, whether they're in the church or not or whether they stumble in here, are we excited about what we gather for? And do we want them to understand? Consider that for a second. Do we want others to belong? Sometimes once we find the belonging we're yearning for, we stop longing to see others belong because we found what we need. But do we still long for Christ? Because if we do, then we'll still long to teach others with the same enthusiasm that we long for Christ in. Do we want people to belong? Or are we happy with our little family and we know everybody? Do we want that person here? Do we want to teach them the faith or why we worship the way we do? Or are we like, uh, they're a threat? Do you know what I'm saying? We come in here, and let's be honest, we don't do things the way, this is what I'm told, we don't do things the way standard churches do things. Okay, I would show you a hundred other ways that that's wrong, but anyways, that's what people say when they come in here. Okay, so do we let people walk in confused and go away saying, oh, that's, I don't get it? Or are we enthusiastic to teach people the way of robust worship? Are we enthusiastic to teach people union in Christ is what matters more than just being a good person? Are we enthusiastic about the things we're learning? Do we want to have the family grow? I ask these things because when the Magi came to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was not excited. They were troubled. And I fear that sometimes we can... If we don't pay attention to this, we can be troubled too by people who aren't like us or aren't where we are. Let's welcome trouble. And let's welcome... People don't change until they know they belong because that's what they're looking for first. People aren't looking for behavioral change. They're looking to be welcomed. They want to know that this is a people I can be myself with. I can share my my struggles and get help and that's the beginning is belonging we have to we have to um well we'll get i'm kind of getting ahead of myself so belonging all right so matthew 2 let's read it so we can we can see with fresh eyes what's happening here matthew 2 verse 1 now after the time now after jesus was born in bethlehem of judea In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. 
and all Jerusalem with him. That's the part that intrigues me. Jerusalem's troubled too. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Now notice, this is intriguing. Herod doesn't seem to have noticed any star. You notice that? When did this thing appear? No one else in Jerusalem was asking, why has this thing appeared? And then the wise men talk about it. When did this appear? This raises some questions, doesn't it? In verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The wise men, as the English Standard Version puts it. Uh, I think a lot of other translations put wise men. The older ones put magi. Uh, it makes us think of magic, and that's not far from the point. Magi is actually um, a transliteration from the Greek. That means they didn't really bother to translate it. They just kind of took the Greek letters and put them in the English form. Because the, the, the Greek word for wise men or magi is magos. Now, what is a magos? Not only is it a terrible sounding word, you magus. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it was a Babylonian loan word. A magos was a Babylonian word that was borrowed in the Greek language. And it referred to people in Babylon who were either priests or astrologers or interpreters of dreams or um, sorcerers even, or people who taught wisdom to other people. So you can see where the word wise men just kind of made it real nice. But the problem with wise men is it makes us honor them so much. Wise men, wow, they sound so cool. That's not how a Jew would have seen a magus. Not a wise man, but a terrifying pagan who, in fact, might have been practicing sorcery. Uh, here's another example. Um, Balaam, in Numbers chapter 24, was hired to curse Israel because the Moabites were concerned that Israel is going to come and just annihilate them on the way into the promised land. So Balaam is hired to curse them. Balaam could have very well been of the same class of people that were in all the kingdoms, a magos. Whether he was or not is beside the point. Um, and we'll talk about him in just a second. But um, that sort of made, that was an Old Testament version where we might have seen a magos. Um, uh, but then in Acts, in the New Testament, magos were never spoke highly of. Um, we see a specific magos show up in Acts 13. His name is, depending on your translation, some have him named Bar Jesus or Elimus. 
And in Acts 13, he's going around um, basically blaspheming. And Acts 13 actually calls him a Jewish false prophet. So how does the New Testament see a Magus? They see them as a false prophet. Someone who's standing in the way of the true God. Now, Frederick Dale Bruner, very helpfully, again, we talked about him during the virgin birth message. Um, I had some not so high things to say about him at that time, but I do like how he put a magos in this instance. He said that magi were officially considered people who looked and taught others to look to, I'm sorry, let me start over. I think I lost my place. Magi were officially considered people who looked and taught others to look to beggarly creatures rather than to the creator and his Torah for guidance. So one of the things they did is that they weren't only looking to the creation to find guidance in life, but they were teaching others to look there. They were experts in how to interpret the signs of nature around us to guide us into life. Then he goes on and says, they looked to their own calculation, their own wisdom and mental creations like zodiacs to deliver the meanings of things. So not only are they looking at nature to figure life out, but their way of interpreting nature has become their rubric for determining life. And then they teach others through these master creations they have how to figure life out. So let's eliminate a higher power. Let's find out how to figure out how to make ourselves whole and happy and find the meaning of life through the stuff that's around us. Does this sound like the spirit of the age or what? <laughs> magi are all around us. In fact, magi seem to be the religion of our times. Mm-hmm. We would say, there's different ways to say this, but like maybe a spiritualist or a, I dabble in all religions. Like I'm a spiritual, this with the saying, I'm spiritual, but not religious. In other words, I dabble around. I don't commit to something. I don't obey something. Um, or the infamous like new age movement, or you can say Oprah Winfrey, or you can throw out your favorite terms. Like they're, godly people but they're kind of searching up the meaning of life through our own inventions and creations this is what a magos would have been they were not always pagan or always demon worshipers per se but they were definitely a gray area for jews and for early christians So that means for Matthew to include this story would have been radical for the early Christians reading Matthew. Whoa, who came to Jesus's birth? Who did God manifest himself to and say, come and worship him? Who were the first people to bend the knee? Not the scribes over in Jerusalem? Not the people of Jerusalem? They weren't the ones? And this is why Jerusalem was troubled when they come. Whoa, what are all these magos doing here? By the way, it wasn't three of them, okay? You would travel in a huge caravan for safety and resources. And if you saw this thing and believed there was somebody significant to go see, and by the way, if you were powerful beings like magos, you would have lots of followers, there would have been a whole... Yeah, a whole village. I was going to say a whole church, if you will. The Church of the Magos. (laughs) That's a good marketing name, isn't it? Um... Come join the maggots and we will make... Sorry. Uh, yeah, so they would have come in the, this entourage and Jerusalem's troubled. Why? Well, yes, okay, another king of the Jews, but um, also, ooh, this is bad influence. The world, if, it's like the church saying, the world has shown up in droves in our church, in our little village. This is why they're troubled. But what we're seeing here um, 
is that despite this gray area that the Magus are, God himself invites them. God invites them. The Jews wouldn't have invited them. Oh, hey, we have a new kingdom. God invites these outsiders. The Jews are troubled by it. But Mary and Joseph seem to welcome them. Isn't that interesting? Mary and Joseph have no resistance to what's happening. Um, Frederick Dale Bruner uh, concluded by calling the Magi the least deserving guests at Christ's birth. The least deserving guests. And yet God sends a personal invitation in a way they cannot miss. So let's talk about that star then. How does God invite them? I remember growing up with so much confusion about the star, and I'm not saying I'm going to make it any clearer for you, but what I was always confused on is, uh, I think because we're typically materialists living in the times we do, even Christians tend to interpret the world materialistically. And so typically, I've always heard the stars described as an astrological phenomenon. So either it's described as a comet. Um, a comet was often seen by ancient people as a sign from the gods that a, that something was going to change in the rulership of the world. And so a comet could be flying by and saying, hey, there's a new king. Um, so people try to say, okay, what comet might have flown over the earth at this time? Halley's comet was around, flew over the earth around 1211 BC. That would be a little too early for Christ's birth. So it can't really be a comet. Uh, then people talk about the planetary conjunction. Do you remember this? Was this last year or a couple years ago? There was like the three planets it conver- converged on Christmas. And everybody's like, it's the Christmas star. And it was like, it sounds like a really cool interpretation. Um, and so some people describe that as maybe what happened back at their time. There was another convergence of planets. And that actually would have meant something because the convergence of planets to people back in the day, Jupiter was, re- was considered the royal planet. And Saturn was considered the planet of the Westland. And Pisces, they would have converged in the constellation of Pisces, which represented the last days. So you have... Um, a ruler being born in the Western land in the last days, kind of happening in the heavens. The Magi are like, what? We got to go to the Westlands and see what's happening. Um, and so the meaning of all that to them would have said, there will appear in Palestine in this year, the ruler of the last days. That's really cool. Um, and then another interpretation is that it was a supernova, the explosion of a star, which creates this phenomenal sight in the sky. Um, we, um, uh, there was a record of this happening in China. You could see it for 70 days, and this was around 5 BC, 4 BC. Herod dies in 4 BC, so that might be a little too late or maybe right on time. It is a pretty close convergence, but would 70 days be adequate for the Magi to travel? People say that this would have taken more like a year to travel. So who knows, right? Those are some astrological, materialistic explanations. Um, so typically what happens is I question all of that, and I'm always just questioning interpretation, so I find one that has the least questions to ask about it. Um, uh, then I read John Chrysostom, our, you know, our friend who we bring up every now and then, and his message on Matthew 2, he talks about how, and I never noticed this before, he talks about how personified the star is. That there's no way that this is an astrological phenomenon. He says this is a supernatural phenomenon. That this is something from God himself in the skies manifesting to the Magi. Um, For example, here's what he points out. He points out the fact that the star rises. Astrological phenomenon don't rise. Maybe as the earth rotates, but we see it rising twice for the Magi. Once at their start and then once when they get to Bethlehem, it says it rises again. Uh, as they leave Herod's palace. Um, the star leads them. How does a star lead you? 
right? This one, especially when you consider that, um, how do you put it? Because Austin put it like, um, the, the, all the things we see in the sky move from east to west, right? Um, he says that they're moving north to south. How is this leading them then if they're moving a different direction than the astrological bodies move? Um, the star also then, and this is to me really interesting, the star seems to hide and reappear. Maybe this is how Herod never sees it. It only appears to the Magi because it's, it's uniquely leading them. It's not an astrological sight. It's leading them personally. And then when they get to Herod's palace, Herod doesn't see it because it's ducked out of sight. And then when they come out, remember it says they saw the star and they, they, they shouted for joy. It's like it almost like it reappeared. It's a hint, but, uh, and then, but most, I thought most, um, interestingly is that the star then rested over the place where Jesus was. Now, you can say, okay, a star led us to Bethlehem, but then that star up high in the sky can never reveal to you which house in Bethlehem the child is in. So this seems to be where the star is much more personified and actually leads them to a direct house. And so I think that this is more of a supernatural phenomenon, maybe an actual angel, maybe it's the Holy Spirit radiating glory before them because it's the Spirit who leads us to Christ. And then notice the star is gone. Where does the star go? What if the star actually dwells within the magi after this i mean just something throughout there because the spirit leads us to christ and the spirit dwells within us when we find christ because notice that then they are they are shown not to go back to herod not through an external sign god speaks to them internally through a dream Mm -hmm. so i don't know some things to think about um but um what all that's cool is that what it reminds us is that the um god is not distant from us He doesn't have to sort of like from a distance just make natural things happen to kind of guide us. He can actually penetrate our world. He can manifest himself to us to lead us where we need to be. And that he's nearer to us than we think. And that if he's nearer to us than we think, then shouldn't we understand that outsiders are nearer to Christ than we think? That maybe they're not too far gone. That crossing a vast wilderness or the pond, if you will, is not really that hard for God to lead people through. That maybe we should be more open to, he might be guiding people with stars right now. And we never know what is happening in someone's life. On the outside, they look like magi. But on the inside, we don't know if they're already on the journey. And your enthusiasm to make them belong could be the tipping point. We cannot judge people by the outside. We just don't know what star they're following. So what this also tells us is that there's no more distance. So Balaam. Remember, Balaam comes to curse Israel and he can't do it. Every time he opens his mouth in the Old Testament, he speaks a blessing. And so ultimately, what he has to end up doing is he just gives in. And he says, all right, I'm just, I've already ticked off Balak. I've probably lost my paycheck. I'm just going to let God speak through me. And he gives this full-on prophecy over Israel. And it's in Numbers 24, verse 17. Numbers 24, verse 17, he says this. I see him, but not now. So he's saying, I see someone in the future. He's not here yet. I behold him, but not near. Same thing as poetry, right? It's being doubled. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. This is referring to the birth of the ruler. Even the scribe said, a ruler shall come out of Bethlehem, which is in Judea, out of Judah. So the star now arises. Balaam said he saw a star coming to announce him who will come. 
And here the Magi, perhaps in the same school of Balaam, watching the stars, see something that is not quite like a star. Um, so he's, yeah, and he says that the star will rise and this ruler will come to crush the forehead of Moab. Now that language is very intentional. Crushing the forehead of Moab is poetry, of course. You're not literally going to crush a nation's forehead. But it's playing on the fact that God said the seed of the woman will be born in Genesis 3.15. And they will, she, or this seed, will crush the head of the serpent. So uh, Balaam was foreseeing that a star will announce the coming of the serpent crusher. And here he is. Um, Isaiah also foresees this. In Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah 61 through 3, he says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. Isaiah is prophesying to Israel. Israel's living in Judah, specifically. They're living in the darkness of exile. And Isaiah is saying, One day you shall arise and shine, for light will come upon you. Okay? So I'm going to keep reading it. Arise and shine, for light has come upon you, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, death and exile and being distanced from God. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations, like the Magi, nations uh, shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And they shall bring gold and frankincense. This is verse 6 now. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and they shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Isaiah is saying that there will be a time when the darkness will be scattered because God will bring light, and then the nations will come. So the bondage of death and darkness and separation will be done away with, and their nearness of God will be brought to all peoples. The nearness of God. So this star appears to announce the removal of distance. There's no more pond or wilderness for these magi, for the outsiders to have to transcend. Like they are now welcomed and stars will bring people over whatever distances remain. There is now belonging for all people with the Christ. I believe that that's one of the things Matthew wants to shock his early readers into is, hey, this is what we're about. Um... Okay, so God is bringing all people home. We're all finding belonging in Christ. I hope you understand that. That we all desperately are born for a yearning to belong to someone, to something. To have a place called home. And some of us find that in clubs and different social things and different things we're invested in. But ultimately, we're going to still have this yearning to belong until we join Christ. And we need to remember that that is inside every single soul, a yearning to come out of darkness and into light and to belong. So I want to close by talking about um, something that I talked about several years ago, but I remember it. I don't remember everything I teach. Actually, I do remember a lot of it, but, <laughs> um, but this is one that other people remember. But so many of us, I don't think we're around then, that... Uh, well, of course, not very many of us here tonight, but um, there's a that it bears repeating, I think, because I remember hearing a lot of feedback that this was helpful for people. Um, you may or may not remember the six on ramps of faith or the six ways that people come to Christ. I want you to think of your salvation like a highway. And 
you get on this highway, and that's how we get to salvation. The highway is Christ. We're on the highway. But how do you get onto this highway? Like all highways, we need on-ramps. But there's six on-ramps or so. Um, Not everybody gets on this highway on the same on-ramp. And I want to show this to you because it will help us to remember that, yeah, guess what? People are going to come to Christ in a different way than you did. And it doesn't have to look like you. We can let people belong on whatever on-ramp they get onto, as long as they get on the freeway, right? So these are the six on-ramps. Um, um, first of all, uh, let's look at the Magi. Um, they came to Christ not at once. It wasn't like a simple, they walked into church like, oh, we get it now. Nor was it like a, I don't know, a Billy Graham crusade or, or Greg Laurie crusade or something like that, or a church camp altar call. Uh, nor it, it may not have looked the way it looks for you, okay? So sometimes it might be suspect, like, that's not the way I came to Christ, that's the way I knew him. Um, but the Magi, they, they first followed a star. You might be like, dude, that is not God. Get over the star. But they followed the star, and the star led them where? No. The star led them to Jerusalem first. In Jerusalem, they found a better revelation. Where is the Christ to be born? They open Micah. They find the scriptures. The scriptures tell them Bethlehem. And then the star confirmed it, yeah? They follow a star. They hear scripture, which produces a worship of Christ. They follow a star. They hear scripture. They worship Christ. Sometimes this is how it works in our lives if we work it backwards. We don't always find Christ with a bolt of lightning. Now, Martin Luther kind of did, literally, get struck by lightning and say, I'm yours, God, but that's not normal. <laughs> um, usually there's, some, there's a process. There's an on-ramp of some sort. So here they are. Um, first, some people, so these are, like, if you will, the diff, like six different stars, six different on-ramps. Some people just believe. They just believe. You know those people. You look at them and you feel like you're, they're super believers and you're not a super believer. And they just have it and you don't and you feel like that's really lame. And you compare yourself to these people. Uh, they seem to believe since they were born. They have no problem believing. They've never doubted God. Belief comes easy for them. Okay, so that's one on ramp. These people, however, can be very judgmental of other people. You're not getting it together fast enough. Or these outsiders, can you believe that people actually buy into this Oprah stuff? That might be their first on-ramp, by the way. They can, you can be judgmental. Um, but on the plus side, these are people who are very aware of God, too. They help us to see God in everyday life because they've been living this every day. So that's the first on-ramp is on belief. It's belief. And your on-ramp is very early, and you're on this road for a long time. The second on-ramp's a little further down. And it's the on-ramp of independence. You're that person who cannot listen to anyone else. You've got to figure this out yourself. So you're that John Wayne, that good old American Western spirit cowboy that's like, I can do this. Um, so you avoid structure at all costs. Uh, the problem is that you're usually very judgmental of the church. You never have anything good to say about the church. The church is doing everything wrong. So you've basically decided, I'm going to do this on my own because I can do it right. 
Uh, that's not good. But the benefit of people like this, if they can actually come to Christ and join the church and be okay with the church, what they can do is they can empower the church to let the people be empowered. You can show us also how that for individuals, it's your responsibility to follow Jesus. It's not the church's responsibility to do this for you. Because believe it or not, a lot of people look to their pastor to believe for them. They look to the church to kind of be their salvation. But we're actually called to come to Christ ourselves. Uh, so an independent on-ramp can teach us that. Uh, the third on-ramp, or the third star, if you will, is disbelief. Oh, man, we're full. We're full of this in our culture. This is like the, agna- the agnostic. He's like, yeah, God might be real and God might not be real. Uh, there's really no way to prove it, so I'm sitting tight on, I don't know. Uh, the disbeliever. Um, the problem with them is that they can reduce God to a concept. And if you can't grasp the concept then you can't grasp God. But if they can get to the point of moving past their intellect and receiving God and joining the church, then their great gift to us is that they will teach us, stop feeding people easy answers. Why did this happen? Just just because God's God and God does everything good. It's like, that's sometimes people are suffering need to be suffered with. Stop giving easy answers. Stop saying, well, God is true because, and you got some like weird bogus, like you're, you remember there's, there's a creation evolution debate and uh, the creationist, all, all he would ever do is quote the Bible to prove God. It's like, yeah, but most people don't believe the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like th- these are cop out answers. And, 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 a, and a, the third honor amp will continually to push us to say, look, that doesn't work for people that don't believe the Bible. Um, the fourth honor amp, the fourth star is the prodigal. This is the person who was maybe on the highway a long time ago, but somewhere in life they saw the, the billboard for biggest hole on earth. <laughs> and like, I want to go see the biggest hole on earth. So you get on, you get off the highway and you go see it. And that leads to another thing. Whoa, space aliens touched down on this mountain. And it's like, I got to stop for a date shake. And there's all these like the first in and out and like all these things got to stop at. And before they know it, years have gone by of them doing some like sightseeing. And then they're like, oh, I should get back the highway. I should get back on that. And the problem with them is that they come back on the freeway with a lot of baggage. Their car is loaded with trinkets and souvenirs that they've collected on all their sightseeings. And that can be a bit of a problem, right? You're carrying a lot of the past with you and things are cluttered. You can't find the map underneath all of the wrappers from the very in and out tour you did. I don't know what you're doing. But, um, but they're also a benefit when they find Christ and when they belong to a church. They bring benefit because they grow us deeper roots. They realize where the roots weren't deep enough in their youth and why we're losing young people in the church. And they can say, look, this is what happened to me. Let's dig deeper and find more meaningful ways to keep people seeing that Christ is real and that church isn't just a game, right? They bring value. Um, The fifth on-ramp or the fifth star is the one of exploration, the explorer, this is like your new age person who may eventually find Christ, but they're like, I want to dabble in everything. Buddhism has something to offer. Uh, I've heard good things about Nirvana and Krishnu, and I've, uh, I love, uh, I, I, I'm a guru about every personality system because I can find my true self, and I watch Oprah, Super Soul Sunday every single week, and, um, I've read all, like, they're just dabbling in all the religions, right? And, um, 
because they're samplers of spirituality and they never really want to settle in one camp. They want to kind of curate for themselves the best faith possible. And that's the, that's the downside of the explorer. It's like they're curators of God. They want to create their own individual religion by, well, I love the Christian tradition of contemplation, but Buddhism has a really good way of talking about like emptying yourself. And then there's, um, um, no, I'm not really good because I don't dabble in these things, but, uh, I love the, uh, oh, the fasting concepts of, of Islam and Ramadan. So I want to practice that. And like, you're just kind of like grabbing the best bits, but never committing to either of these religions. Right. So then what you end up getting is a God in your pocket kind of thing, a customized God that you can pull out and hit the right app that you need at the right time. Uh, but when these people find Christ and commit themselves to Christ alone, when they belong to the true church of Christ, they're powerful because what they bring to us is precise communication. They're really good at reaching people where they are because they've been everywhere, right? They know how to bring that person who's interested in meditation is look to Buddhism for that and said, did you know that the church has 2000 years of actually better meditation and it goes further back in the Psalms? Uh, did you know that this is what we do? And like they can reach people because they've been in those places. They understand how to communicate in that way. So that's a tremendous gift to the church. And then the sixth and final on-ramp or star, they come on very late in the game, right? They come on toward the end of the road, but they make it, is the on-ramp of confusion. This is the person who desperately wants to believe, but desperately doesn't want to believe because at the end of the day, they are terrified of it. They want it so bad, but they want nothing to do with it. And it's a super confusion. It's almost maybe like there's some psychological things have happened in their childhood or something. I don't know, but there's like this like love hate thing. And so they can't quite commit. And what they often, the bad side of this path is that often you can give up in despair. You're like, bless you. I went to church for three years and I never got it. The pastor never convinced me. The people never helped me believe. And like, you just like kind of externalize all that and just in despair, give up. Um, but when this person can come to Christ, receive Christ and belong to the church, they bring a tremendous gift in that they become the most confident because they went through the darkest valleys of doubt. And they have this light and radiance and they can help people through their trying moments and say, it's okay, sister, I got your hand. We'll make it. Now, we bring up these six stars that people follow or these six on-ramps that we get onto faith with um, because I want to point out that you might see someone in the church like they don't belong. Well, maybe they're just too far in the right lane. You've been in the carpool lane for a long time. And they just got on the on-ramp of numbers five or something. And it just looks like they don't belong yet. Maybe because they're just driving a different make than you're driving, right? Um, but we need to understand that they're a tremendous gift to the church. The different ways we get into Christ bring tremendous blessings. And if we are willing to open our arms and say, you're welcome here, will you belong as you are, and trusting that the process of worship transforms us, we can see a tremendously diverse and gifted church. And I mean that generally, the church. But now to bring it home to us a little bit, us. Let's not forget who we are. Let's not, if you're not excited about why you gather, you need to check your heart. 
and get there. What if we had you guys, because the Super Bowl is not as exciting as worshiping for you, I understand. And if you're not here, it's there's other reasons, of course. It's not, if you got invited to a Super Bowl party, I'm more jealous because it means you're cooler than I am. Because uh, I didn't get invited. Everyone's like, uh, don't invite the pastor. Um, uh, what my point, though, is that I know that you guys, um, this is a good group to talk to, right? Because typically a night like this, you're not going to get that person that, you're not going to get a magi here tonight, right? Um, So us, um, remember your excitement and love for Christ and how much you long for him. And if you've kind of lost that longing, maybe it's because you found belonging somewhere else. Remember where you really belong and allow the light that he puts in us to make you a star. Your enthusiasm emanating. Uh, I mean, just think about the things you get into and you want people to see that really cool movie you saw. You finally saw, whatever is trendy, one of those Marvel movies and everyone marvels about. Um, and everyone's like, you got to see this. I hear this all the time with teenagers. Right? you got to see this. There's an enthusiasm that wants to bring people in. Is your enthusiasm in this church? Do you want to bring people in? I don't care if they're magos. Because you know what happened? When... When they entered Christ's house, they didn't defile it. They were sanctified by entering his house, right? People can be sanctified by being in a group of Christians and feeling like they belong. Because holiness is more powerful than darkness. Light is more powerful than darkness. So you and I be stars. Let our belonging and enthusiasm for Christ emanate. Don't be a stop sign. Stop signs wreck the freeway. There's no pro, no one, that's why we don't get on the freeway to be a stop sign. We don't tell people, halt. This is not our job. Um, a warm, enthusiastic embrace, the, uh, the affection you have for Christ being infectious in other people. Uh, like when you see people like, come on, be a Brentford fan. And I can enthusiastically encourage you to do that on, on a different time. See, like that, you can do that. Um, people can enthusiastically make you want to be part. If, if the Orthodox Church can be this welcoming, warm, enthusiastic place, I think you guys can do it. Um, and all the other places that where we find people wanting so badly to get us in, be enthusiastic, be a star. And... Don't judge people on the externals because there are many on-ramps to Christ. There's one Christ, but there's many on-ramps to him. And we don't know which one they're going to go on. So just be a sign, be a star, lead them. That star was personal, right? It rose with them. It led them. It showed them the house. So we can do this. My one caution to us is that you have to want this. I fear that we sometimes don't want a Magi in the church because we, like Jerusalem, are troubled. And we're troubled because we are afraid of them. Because we fear that they will change us and that they will change our church. We belong here. You can't change us. Let me caution you that they will. And that that's a good thing. Because Jerusalem went to Judea, Judea went to Samaria, and Samaria went to the ends of the world. Because when Christ was born, magi were welcomed. See what might happen? We need change. We need to be changed. We need to be rocked and troubled a little bit. But don't let your trouble be like Herod, 
who wants to exterminate and get rid of magi and other things, let your trouble say, wow, wait a minute. There's power here in welcoming and engaging and enthusiastically wanting people to share with us this wonderful Christian life we live. Yeah, he will be changed, and this is going to be good. So let's trust in Christ as this happens. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.